Welcome. I'm Dr. Liz, an entrepreneur, speaker, podcaster, mom, and wife. This podcast is about hypnosis, but also about all kinds of ways to help you live your fullest life, to heal, transform, to play the long game and go after the joy. You can see more about me at drlizhypnosis.com. Hop over there to get a free hypnosis file to decrease fear and anxiety or one to increase emotional stability. They're there just for you. I hope you enjoy the podcast as much as I do. Peace. Hey everyone, Dr. Liz here. Today's conversation is with Dr. Mark Mincola. We have quite the philosophical discussion about moving into a state to be able to create a miracle in your life for healing, as well as a practical tip about how to do that. Dr. Mancola has worked with terminally ill patients for 37 years. He's helped hundreds heal and has healed himself from Lyme disease. He is a globally recognized expert in alternative health and functional medicine. His documentary, titled The Way of Miracles, was awarded the Best Health Awareness Film of 2021. And his book, The Way of Miracles, Accessing Your Superconsciousness, is a collection of documented research on the power of the subconscious, exercises he prescribes to his patients to raise their consciousness and cultivate their healing, as well as his own experience battling and overcoming Lyme disease. So he is here to talk about how he works. I hope you're healthy and happy wherever you are in the world and that you enjoy the conversation. Peace. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast. I've seen you've done so much work on miracles and accessing miracles and accessing healing. You've published books. Um, you even have a, a new film out as well to go with your new book, The Way of Miracles. So um, just happy that you're here to, to talk about how to access miracles. It's such an important concept. I think that people, you know, the reason I wrote the book, The Way of Miracles, and made the film The Way of Miracles, because people need to understand that miracles are not rare exceptions. Miracles are, are they're commonplace, everyday realities. It's more a question of our tapping into the fields, the energy fields, the frequencies that miracles exist in. So miracles exist in a place. I contend that they exist in a field or a zone. The zone. Okay. The, the, zone the zone that miracles exist in. Is, is a miracle place. It's a place of energies that are very unusual, very, very highly elevated. It's like whenever you meditate deeply, you know, you meditate, go into trance, and you end up in deep prayer states, deep, contem deep, deep contemplative or prayer states, contemplative, meditative, trance-like. I think we move into different zones, different states. And I think we need to attend to those states, those higher states. And that's where miracles take place. Miracles don't, miracles don't take place in the mundane self. They take place in the higher self. In the higher the soul self. self. How, what are you defining as a miracle? Um, a miracle is an event that's, that's unexpected, that's unanticipated, and that brings about drastic, drastic change. Okay. So if somebody, for example, somebody, somebody has, a, and many of the people that I contend with have terminal illnesses. Mm -hmm. And we belong to a culture that sort of writes the, those off as impossibilities. You know, that when somebody in our culture has a, has a serious cancer situation or heart disease situation, uh, profoundly inflammatory stuff, disease. Uh, I mean, even 
bad COVID and viruses and things like that, we tend to lose hope. We tend to lose faith. We tend to think that that's that's indicative of a of an ending coming. You know that or there's no way out of that one. Absolutely. And when, people, and when people recover from those serious situations, they they tend the world tends to think of those as realities that are miracle based, and to some extent they are. But that's okay. that's that's so you're not talking thing. about like I mean I. I I'm not saying this just flippantly. I, you know, I truly believe like sometimes I look at my daughter and think of her as just such a miracle. Like I always called her my miracle baby, actually, because I had three miscarriages after my first. And I really do feel like it was a miracle that she is here even. So you're not talking about that. You're talking about more like um, the unexpected, what, what people like looking from the outside in would call a miracle. Yeah, you know, I mean, for the past forty years, I've I've worked in the in the field of health healthcare. I've counseled sixty thousand patients from all over the world. Many of them are terminally ill. Many of them have had serious conditions, serious illnesses that were considered untreatable. Mm-hmm. And and I, you know, when I first attempted working with these people, I wasn't aware of the fact that that the world doesn't account for reality at the level that exists. That the world accounts for reality at the level that it's programmed at. So I think it's really important that I understood as I understood it, that reality was, was movable. It was, it's mobile, it's changeable, it's, it's alterable. Uh-huh. Especially when it, when it comes to things like, like health-related miracles, you know, recovery from diseases, things like that. So I think that what I've worked with is patients who are terminally ill, very ill, very sick, who I grew up in a world that said, those people don't stand a chance. Just, just help them out any way you can, but don't count much, don't count on much. You know, they're not going to make a miracle recovery. Mm-hmm. But I found slowly but surely that so many people that I worked with were strangely not going through miracle recoveries, or what I what I what I felt like were miracle recoveries. And so I learned early on that that miracles were were, were are do they're doable. They're, they're much more real, they're much more possible than than people are aware of. But again, we start our starting place in this culture is to not believe. There's four aspects when it comes to miracles. We can reject them, we can accept them. We can expect them and we can create them. So I think so I think most people will will have experience of the first two, but not necessarily right. this this last exactly right. two. Yeah, I think you're right. That's the that's the whole point of the book. That I, I awakened to the fact, slowly but surely, that the world I was living in tends not to expect miracles. It tends to to doubt them, not believe in them, not, not accept the possibility. Mm-hmm. So I started off by, by, by accepting them as my first change, you know, because I came from a place of like so many people not believing in miracles. My, my first station, if you will, was a station that said uh, we can ex- we can accept the possibility. Mother Teresa, Jesus, the Buddha, whatever. I mean, we can we can accept that it's a possibility. It's not mm-hmm. nothing I can do, nothing I can do, but something that somebody can do. That's the first station. Then from there, I, I, I moved into the station of saying that that's actually only only a part of the equation. The other part of the equation is actually expecting it with a sense of believability. You know, so in other words, yeah. there's something called expectancy. I think expectancy cr- produces an energy that actually deepens your 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 state, deepens your consciousness, brings you closer to that's those those zones that I talked about earlier. So the zones of of consciousness that make miracles happen, you know, the zones of consciousness where, where, where miracles exist can be accessed more easily by by developing expectancy. Expectancy actually changes our field, changes our energy, changes our our energy. Absolutely, in a way that, that brings us closer to the reality of miracles. Yeah, I recently heard um, some research, and this is from um, a doctor in the medical field, a 
an MD around how when people get genetic results, genetic testing kind of result, and how that actually will change their physiology. So that is expectation there. You know, I mean, when they they measure it and it's pretty miraculous, actually, like when you think about it. So um, anyway, so expectancy. I mean, I think part of developing that I would imagine is keeping an eye out for miracles as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a part of the brain called the anterior cingulate cortex. And that part of the brain actually has been studied extensively by science. And scientists have found, researchers have found the anterior cingulate cortex. When you imagine something, like you imagine a miracle, like if mm-hmm. you have a sickness or even a head cold and you want to get rid of it, you're imagining in your mind before you go to bed at night, you're, you wake up clear, no mucus, no, no inflammation, no, no sickness, no sneezing, none of that. And by imagining that, by, by having that, that, that vision in your mind, that expectancy that we t- were talking about, you actually stimulate the interior cingulate cortex, the part of the brain that actually creates the neurological response that's identical to reality. So in other words, whether you're imagining something or living through it, in fact, you produce the same neurology, same identical mm-hmm. neurology, no, no different at all. So you're, you're, you're physically changing, like you pointed out, in a way that actually alters your brain, alters your body, alters your chemistry, alters your hormones, mm-hmm. and moves you closer to the reality that you're trying to accomplish. So you're, you're more along the lines of creating reality than whenever you have the expectations of, of having these, these events take place. Yes. Got it. Well, what was your first experience of that? Like what was your, I think the first miracle where you moved from um, into believing that miracles happen? Um, I think it was gradual. I think, you know, there were, for, for one thing, I, I started to notice that the whole game of life is different than I thought it was. You know, the whole concept of um, disease. I still think most of the, the healthcare profession is just stuck in this, this limited belief system. But I think I, what happened to me, I, to answer your question, I, I gradually dissolved my limited belief system. So when it comes, when it comes to belief, mm-hmm. expectancy, like we're talking about, I think belief and expectancy came on swiftly, but gradually in my life. Like I'd, I'd noticed, you know, I'd see so many patients, I'd see eight to 10 people a day mm-hmm. for, for years. And so I initially would see patients getting better from things that I didn't think that they should should be. You know, this isn't reality. And reality is, according to the way I was raised, would lead me to believe that this person with this particular condition is not not capable of really having an over, a completely overcome situation that she he or she improves radically. You know, but but I found that wasn't the case. I and mean, gradually, every day, I'd find this person getting better, this person getting better, this person getting better, and I'd see consistency. I'd see consistent information that was coming back to me from these patients that indicated that I think life is wrong. I think life's got it backwards. I often say that this book, The Way of Miracles, and this movie, The Way of Miracles, is like a treasure that I stumbled upon. I found this treasure in the woods that nobody knows about. And it's my job to bring that that story, to bring that treasure to the, to the, to the public's awareness. Beautiful. Because I truly, I truly believe the process is different yeah, than all things. Can you talk about the process? Um, because I know you um you call it the superconscious. And as a hypnotherapist, I often call it the subconscious, but I love the word the superconscious. So um, how do you define the superconscious? Super superconscious to me is is alignment of your your deepest levels of awareness with I, I believe there's universal order for one thing. And even through the chaos, I think it, everything is part of the order. 
So I believe in universal order. I believe the universe makes sense. I believe it's, it's conscious that the universe is a, is a living being. I, I treat the universe like a person, not, not, mm-hmm. like this, not like this big place. I think we tend to think of the universe as like, like, like a galaxy or like a universe that's a, that's a world, some kind of world. Mm-hmm. I, think it, I think it's more a matter of the, the universe being like a person, a real big person with consciousness, with the ability to love and needs to be loved, needs, needs our attention, needs our affection, needs our care, needs mm-hmm. to be reached out to by us, cared, cared for by us, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that that, that part of the equation indicates that there's a consciousness to the universe. The universe has an awareness. Yes. So I think yes. that when you take the consciousness of the universe and then the subconsciousness of the human self and you merge them, you have super consciousness. So it's kind of like an alignment. It's like an alignment of my subconscious mind with the universal mind. So how do people move into alignment so they get into this superconscious state? I think it's it's as simple as spending as much time and energy and devoting enough focus in your life to to evolving, having the intent to 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 evolve. So everything begins with intent. Everything begins with intent. So to have For that sure. intent, yes, to, to try to dig deeper within yourself, to try to go closer to your your to the center of your soul, to operate at a deeper level of truth, to operate at a deeper level of clarity, mm-hmm. consciousness. I think that's the key. I think the more you enter into that, the more meditation, the more contemplation, the more visualization, the more prayer, the more the effort, the more we work hard at getting to those deeper places within ourselves. And emanating so, from the so, not not just not just not just arriving there, but developing an, an emanation process. So we're we're emanating from that place. We're changing our identity, if you will. I'm going to talk about that in my books. It's a matter of changing the identity. So, so instead of being the, sorry, changing the identity to what? Changing the identity to go from being uh, a physical being that has a soul to being a soul that's reflected through a physicality. Okay. Got it. Got it. I mean, is it as easy as someone setting the intention and beginning to meditate? I don't know, five, five, 10 minutes. I often recommend to people start with five minutes a day, or is it, um, do you lay out more of a process in the book? I mean, do you think it's a little more involved than that? I I know. I think that's, there's many exercises in the book, but I think you're right. That is pretty much it. I think it's a matter of taking the time to evolve from the concept of being a thinker to being a, a beer, you know, to, to, to the whole process of being as opposed to doing, not being a human doing anymore, not equivocating your, your life's process based on what you accomplish, what you achieve, or what you mass, but actually mm-hmm. focusing not on thoughts, not on emotions, but focusing on awareness. On awareness. Okay. So when someone's coming to you, let's say with, something you know they have been diagnosed with like a terminal illness and um they're coming to you have they already started to move into that state once they get to you that's what i'm sort of imagining or is this sort of a like a surprise to them like hey let's start working on this state in terms of shifting your um state of mind your being shifting into a more of a spiritual type of mindset let's say versus the the physical I'm just curious about that. I, I think I think it's part of a natural process. I think, as I said earlier, 
even in the chaos of life, there is still order. Everything is order-based, in my opinion. The universe is order-based, and even through chaos, it's still part of the chaos is part of the order. And part of the chaos is dis-ease. So dis-ease is a part of the process of chaos. It's part of the greater order. Mm-hmm. And that if, you, if you're diseased, it's going to get you to focus your attention on health, well-being, choices, thoughts, all that stuff. Because your, sure. mortality, yeah. your mortality comes into play. And your mortality is challenged. It gets your attention, no question about it. Well, so, not even well, mortality, but I think I specialize in like chronic conditions, chronic pain. I've experienced some of that in my own life and um, even currently. And it, it's not even necessarily mortality, but it's like day-to-day life and how are you going yeah. to be in day-to-day life and live day-to-day life and decrease some of the the pain that's going on I, th- I think there's a natural process whereby if we're out of touch with our soul and the reality of our our core beingness our source if you will mm-hmm. that we tend to, we tend to get very uh, diseased so i think the objective is to realize that disease is part of the process of corrective recovery. It's not part of the breakdown. It's actually part of the wholeness of, of wellness. So I see you, you take the Tai Chi circle, you got the dark and the light part of the same circle. Each semicircle makes up the whole. Uh-huh. So I think it's the same thing here. The wholeness is the is, is a key issue for the way of miracles. So instead of seeing our disease as a problem, we see it as an opportunity. Instead of seeing our disease as, as just a bad thing, you know, it's going to try and end my life. How dare that happen, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's more a matter of understanding that we're part of the process of our disease, part of the process of our recovery, and then part part of the same thing together. We tend to think about the disease as a bad thing and the recovery as a good thing. That's that's oversimplistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we need to understand that disease and suffering on one end and wellness and recovery on the other end are part of one circle, part of one wholeness. So I think that there's a natural process, like I said, that's engaged so that when we have disease manifest in our lives, the universe is trying to bring us back into a sense of wholeness and balance. That's why we have disease. That's why that's why we're out of balance. That's that's how that stuff works. And I think we're designed to, to recover by means of rebalancing, getting back into the equilibrium. Okay. Getting so your perspective is we are designed to recover. What about, um, you know, I've done a quite extensive spiritual reading. What about the concept of like contracts that you are going to go through this process in this life. Um, do you not believe in that? No, I, again, I believe, in, I believe in order. I, so yes, I do believe that. And I believe that the contracts are part of the preordained uh, omniscient process. Predestination and omniscient are part of the same thing. Again, part of one circle. Uh-huh. So I, I think that, I think that universe is, it's got itself mapped out. It's got all plans are, are for the greater good. So I think that we we tend to, with our egos, think of things as good or bad based on how they affect us. Mm-hmm. Win the lottery is a good thing. Lose the lottery is a bad thing. And so I think that that's, that's our simplistic thinking. But I think it's all part of one flow pattern. I think it's all part of one reality. And I think that separation is an illusion in my mind. So I think that we don't want to be thinking about separation between disease and ease. I think we want to realize that disease and ease are constantly point counterpoint. We're always balancing out the two, you know, so it's like being on a surfboard. Mm-hmm. You move to the front of the surfboard and you're in better balance. You move back on the surfboard, you rebalance. So mm-hmm. you get nowhere to stand on the surfboard of life, I guess. I think that when we get thrown off the board, we, we, get, we get another shot. We try it again. So I think that we're constantly 
renewing our attempts at equilibrium. I think we're constantly renewing ourselves, trying to find balance mm-hmm. and trying to find where we belong on the board, surfboard of life, so to speak. You know, So I think that we need to take the time to be conscious of that process. That's the whole thing. So it's all about consciousness. And okay. I think when you're, when you're super tuned in, super consciousness, like I said. Yeah. So, okay. So let me review, <laughs> make sure I understand here. So your theory is like when you come into alignment with that, then that's the space where a miracle can occur. Yes, that's exactly right. Then that, that space is, is, is not a, it's not a mundane field. It's, it's not the same field you, you, you're dealing with whenever you get put gas in your car. It's yeah. a different thing. So it's, it's you're moving at higher levels from within yourself. You're, you're tapping into source. You're emanating from soul. I think uh-huh. when you emanate from soul, you're deepening your experience. And I think that's when your dimensions become much more obvious, more, much more, much more multidimensional. Your life becomes much more multidimensional. And I think that's when super consciousness starts to cultivate. Okay. Okay. So it's a state that you're moving in and out of, let's say, because we do have to put gas in our car sometimes or go, <laughs> go to the grocery store and that type of thing. Like we have to live mundane life, let's call it. Right. Right. Okay. So your book and the film, I'm assuming, um, really goes into how to cultivate the super conscious state um, in a conscious manner in your life, um, spending, let's say, part of the day there to create alignment so that, um, you know, it creates that opening for miracles. Is that it? It is. I think, I think the, the, the picture that I have is creating a backdrop, a soulful backdrop. Uh-huh. So in other words, even the guy that's putting the gas in his car, even though he's in the mundane state when he's gassing the car up, he still has this backdrop that he's cultivating deeper awareness. Yeah. He's, emanating, he's emanating from a deeper place. He's building a, he's building a different self. He's constructing okay. a different consciousness of self, a, more, a greater dimensional aspect. Uh-huh. And I think his mundane person is putting gas in the car, but his backdrop is still part of this developmental process that's involving him. Yeah, it's not like that state just stops the minute you get up from, let's say, your meditation, right? No, <laughs> it's like exactly. that. Part of it's, it continues. This sense of you're, uh, you're, you're redesigning, you're, des- you're redesigning, you're designing a permanent self. Yeah, your permanent self is being redesigned. I mean, I see it as as that self that's more in the flow of that's right of life. That's right. So yeah, it's not like that self stops when the timer goes off or something. <laughs> it continues in that state. And at the same time, you're saying it's important to cultivate that state to, um, you know, tap in, tune in, in order to allow for uh, miracles to come into your life. Exactly. Yeah, interesting. So could you give our listeners some concrete tips about how to start this process besides the, the one, you know? You can all go buy Dr. Mancola's book <laughs> because it sounds really fascinating or watch the film. I know the film's on, where is it? It's, Gaia, Gaia. it's stream, streaming on Gaia. Okay. And, it's, um, and the book is actually at Amazon. Okay, great. Besides that concrete step, can you lay out yeah, there's, there's a, great, there's a few a great steps answer. where they can start this process? Yep. One of the most important baselines in the book that I talk about is an exercise called observing the self. So go to the nearest mirror. And you look in the core of your eyes, in the center of your eyes in the mirror, and you undisturbedly fix your gaze on the core of your eyeballs. So your eye, eyeball to eyeball, looking at yourself, 10 minutes, unwavering for 10 minutes. 
don't waver. Don't try not to blink. Try try not to lose concentration. Try not to get distracted. Mm-hmm. And spend ten minutes just connecting with the the core of the center of your eyes. And that ten minute period it will engage you in a process. What I refer to as the uh, yeah tuning into the essence of your presence. That's what I refer to that as tuning to the essence of your presence. Mm-hmm. So the essence of your presence is reflective of your soul. I think it's really important that we we get in touch every day. I say it's the first thing you should do every day. So what is the first thing most people do every day? Uh, mm-hmm. Hit the snooze button. Yeah, hit the snooze. <laughs> hit the snooze button. Snooze button, yes. And make coffee, whatever. So I think that one of the one of the first things I like to encourage people to do is is tap into the, the essence of their, of their self. Reminds me of. There was um, a therapy, I can't even believe that I remember this name, but it was Dr. Meichenbaum, and he developed this therapy sometime in the 90s, perhaps the 80s, but I think it was more the 90s. He called it mirror talk, where you would do eye gazing with yourself in the mirror, but also have a dialogue with yourself in the mirror. So it sort of reminds me of that, at least the first part of it. I mean, the dialogue, I think it's always going on internally. I mean, part of the, sure, sure. Part of the goal the for myself is to, to dial down that dialogue. And you're saying... When I'm saying most, the most important part of that process is tuning into the essence of your presence. So again, yeah. it's not very often that we look at our soul with our soul. Uh-huh. So this is an exercise where actually you're looking at your soul with your soul. That's the essence of your presence, as I refer to it. So what happens within you and around you when you make that connection, when you tap into your soul, uh-huh. and when, you, when your soul is looking at your soul in the same set of eyes, there's changes that take place within you. And it, it changes the reality. It's, it's, it's a, gradual, a gradual evolutionary process where it elevates your consciousness. You become you become the consciousness. You don't. You, there's a difference between having consciousness and being consciousness. I think that you know in this culture, even medically, we tend to think of somebody gets gets into a car accident and there's these. said they lost consciousness. You you, you can't lose what you have, what mm-hmm. you are. Rather, you can't lose what you are. So you don't have consciousness. You are consciousness. But I think that the tuning of the essence to your presence in this exercise tunes you into the essence of your your energy the soulful energy that you are, the essence of your presence, as I call it. You consciously isolate yourself as a massive awareness. And your awareness is aware of, of itself. That's, that's what that exercise is about. And it strengthens you spiritually. And over time, it'll make you super conscious, more developed. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an interesting conundrum, I'm thinking, on my side, because it's like sometimes that um, self-awareness becomes almost a sense of not being integrated for some people, you know, I'm thinking of a, a couple of past clients where they get very, um, I don't know what the word is, annoyed at their own awareness, self-awareness, you know, like, <laughs> like not super in the way that you're using it, but sort of like super self-conscious, let's call it, which well, that's, in, that's just, in that's some that's vein just, is like super self-awareness, right? Like they can't let that so many people that the process starts off from, from a standpoint of negative thought. Uh-huh. A lot of people are carrying negative thought. I'm, I screwed this up. I screwed that up. I'm a jerk. I, I can't believe I did this. I'm not, I, I, I screwed up big time. I messed mm-hmm. up my life. Mm-hmm. I, I flunked a test, whatever. I think we have that mentality. To take that into the self-connection piece that we're talking about is to, is to, is to be critical and negative in your thinking process. 
I think it's important to, to disempower negative thinking. I think it's really mm-hmm. important to focus, like I said earlier, on awareness, not thought. The key is when you're when you're looking at your eyes in the mirror, mm-hmm. you're, you're gazing at yourself. And when you're tapped into the essence of your presence, like you said, mm-hmm. make that make that purely an awareness concept. Any thoughts should be neutralized, not 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 embraced. And it's not a, it's not a time of negative thinking. It's a time of positive awareness. Big difference. Mm-hmm. So just letting those thoughts <laughs> drift past, or of course, I think we, we we tend to we tend to assign reality to, to things. You know, as mm-hmm. part of our process of, of form development. But I think we're not used to the concept of being formless. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the soul is formless. And I think that the objective is to tap into ourselves in a formless manner and to embrace the formlessness and to, to embrace the fact that we don't have to assign a reality to negative thought. That, that's something we do unconsciously, I think. I think we tend to often assign. For sure. Yeah. yeah too absolutely. Much, too, much reality, yes. too much reality to negative thought. Yeah, like we're going to have negative thoughts come and go is is often how I put it, but that doesn't mean it's the truth. It's the truth of who you are, right. the truth right. of a situation. It's exactly. simply one perspective. That's it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's, it's a process of holding that gaze with yourself and allowing those thoughts to just come and go, not attaching to any of them. It's like when you're told in meditation, uh, when you're distracting thoughts and noises and things like that, just keep going back to your mantra, keep going back to your mantra, keep going back to your mantra, focus mm-hmm. on meditation. You, you don't have to chase anything away. By yeah. chasing the noise, by chasing the distractions, by chasing the spirits that, that are disturbing you, you're, you're giving them attention. The, yeah. objective isn't, the objective isn't to chase them. The objective is to keep focusing on your mantra and your task at hand. In this case, you want to just keep focusing on the essence of your presence. You're meditating on self. Yeah. You, know, you want to just focus on the the like the consciousness, focus on the, the awareness, focus on the presence of your awareness. Mm-hmm. And any any distractions that try to come in, just just keep focusing on the the, the the mantra of your focus. Yes, yes. So could you tell us about a particular miracle that was striking to you after someone started this process? Sure. I think the, the book and the film both produce. Uh, examples. There's, there's like six or seven people on the film that we've, we've interviewed and we, we talk about their stories. And, and the same thing in the book, they're diff- different stories, different patient stories. Mm-hmm. But there's one woman in particular, 37 th- year old woman who was uh, from, from Russia originally. And she actually um, had a brain tumor and it was basically the size of a tennis ball in front of her head. Mm-hmm. And she was told by her, oncologist just just the surgeon that they'd have to actually remove that that surgically get that tumor out of her head they'd have to remove it through the skull Mm -hmm. so she was very frightened about that whole process and who wouldn't be yeah so she she had the surgery they completed it they removed all of it they said that uh, she should be fine two months later the tumor grew back two months it grew back the same size wow so they said, we got to do it again. She said, I'm not going through that again. I'm just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Can't do it. So she um, passed up on the surgery and she knocked on my door. And so we worked together for about five months. And in five months, the tumor basically disappeared. So we, wow. we did a program. We did a program nutritionally that was uh, focused on anti-inflammatory foods, foods that have arachidonic acid. Foods that have high concentrations of 
leukotriene, B4s, and things like that, hormones. Mm-hmm. We actually tapped into the diet, straightened all that chemistry out through nutrition, put on some supplements. And one of the things I found with her, she's, she had a profound allergy to wheat and gluten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I actually tapped into the fact that I think a lot of her tumor growth was because of the gluten sensitivity. I think that 90% of her condition was correctable by getting her off the gluten. It's my contention that you know, we tend to think of things as like dairy, dairy allergenic, dairy, dairy is an allergy, mm-hmm. uh, wheat, wheat's an allergy, gluten's an allergy, uh, things like that. And I think there's no question that that's true, but we don't understand to what extent those problems can manifest. They, they can become pretty, pretty serious. In other words, is it possible that someone's cancer is correlated with gluten? Mm-hmm. Is it possible that somebody's dairy allergy is correlated with their heart disease or whatever? And I, there's no doubt about it. You know, allergenesis is pretty serious business. And it can be life-threatening. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think if it's creating some inflammation in the body and the inflammation can absolutely create, it's a disease. And that's what I think her situation is all about. I think that we found that she, when she got off the, the gluten, I think that she was able to put her body in a state of recovery, balance. She, she rebalanced. She's been tumor-free for nine years. Wow. That's incredible. You're working with her like energetically in terms of her developing this super conscious mindset state in her body, but also in terms of moving that along with nutrition, you're saying. Absolutely. I, you, you got to me. I mean, my, my discipline comes from the perspective of healing is physical. It's body, mind, and spirit. You know, it's all the above. You can't separate any one thing. You can't get it done just by moving through one channel alone. Agreed. So my, yeah. my understanding, you need the whole picture. Uh-huh. So much affects yeah. us in terms of what we're putting into our bodies. Um, but it's not just food and nutrients and that types of things. It's also, you know, what we're putting into our minds. And how they interact and create different things in our bodies and our minds. I recently was put on some medication and um, I was absolutely amazed that it really created depression in me. And I was aware enough to realize this. I was tracking symptoms and side effects and that type of thing. But it was like, wow, it was a real mind effect for me, you know, where I was like, this is so clear that this is not the right medication for me, (laughs) but, um, you know, I'm not willing to like have depression as a side effect for whatever is trying to cure. I I don't know. It's just really, really how what we're putting into our body can do that. So that was an example of a medication, but food can do the same thing. The human state is so, so vulnerable, so sensitive. We have so many energies within ourselves. We're, we're so many counterpoint, counterbalancing energies. We have so many different frequencies that we produce through yeah. thoughts, through feelings, just by being present in the universe. I mean, there's so many different energies, so many different frequencies that we generate. And it doesn't take much to change them, to affect them, to alter them. So, I mean, a medication, a vitamin, a mineral, relationship, conversation. Yeah. Um, doesn't take much. Doesn't take much at all. I mean, we, we notice radical changes of the energy fields, and sometimes permanently so. Yes, absolutely. It's so true. Well, it has been quite enlightening to speak with you about um, these different ways of healing. Could you please let people know how to find you and how to find? You said the books on Amazon and um, the documentaries on um, Diam streaming. Where's your website? How do they find you if they want to work with yes. you? As you say, the, the book is on Amazon. It's The Way of Miracles. 
It's also on Gaia, G-A-I-A, Gaia. Mm. Also, you can actually tap into my, my website. It's martincola.com. It's M-I-N-C-O-L-L-A, two L's. C-O-L-L-A.com. And that will be in the show notes for people as well, as well as a link to the book and the um, documentary so that it's easily accessible to you. And are you, do you still take private clients? Uh, well, unfortunately, I'm booking for January, but yes. Okay, great. Great. You're booked until January 2023? Yes. Wow. Well, good for you. If you'd like to work with Mark or Dr. Mincola, then um, you can always contact him through his website and, and book out. Thank you so much for being on the podcast Liz, and for sharing so your wisdom today. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Liz. truly enjoying today's episode. Remember that you can get free hypnosis downloads over at my website, drlizhypnosis.com, D-R-L-I-Z hypnosis.com. I work all over the world doing hypnosis. So if you're interested in working with me, please schedule a free consultation over at my website and we'll see what your goals are and if I can be of service to you in helping you reach them. Finally, if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast or tell a friend. That way, more and more people learn about the power of hypnosis. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful week. Peace. This podcast is not mental health treatment, nor should it replace mental health treatment. If you need therapy or hypnotherapy, please seek treatment from a trained professional.